Hey there, welcome to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we're going to be talking to Jamie Loftus about ACCast, her hit podcast about the Kathy cartoon, and why she feels like the character of Kathy never really got a fair shake. Then we're going to be talking to Jelani Memory. He is a father who wanted to find a book for his children that talked about racism, but he couldn't find that book because it didn't exist, so he wrote it. And now he's got a media company that's published over 50 kids' books on important topics and has sold hundreds of thousands of copies. It's a really inspiring story that you're going to want to stick around for. And then, as if all that weren't enough, we are also going to hear some music from Tolliver, music that will have you vibing wherever you are hearing this. And yes, I just said vibing on public radio. It's going to be that kind of show, folks. So get ready for it. It all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? Just peachy this week. I am so excited to be talking to you and playing another round of station location identification examination. I beat myself up when I don't get these right. I got to tell you. I mean, your success rate is shockingly high on this. I will tell you. (laughs) Basically, here's how this works. I'm going to give Elena some clues about a place in the world where Livewire is on the radio, and then you got to try to guess where I'm talking about. Okay, this city is the birthplace of the moon pie, the tow truck, and miniature golf. It's also featured in the song title of a 1941 hit by Glenn Miller and his orchestra about a train. I think that would be the Chattanooga choo-choo. You would be 100% right. <laughs> you have me at Moon Pies, Burbank. Everybody knows the Moon Pie comes from Chattanooga, Tennessee, but you got to drink a Moon Pie with a RC Cola, which is from Columbus, Georgia. So the two states meet. And you were like worried that you weren't going to absolutely hit this one out of the park. You're absolutely right. Chattanooga, Tennessee, where folks are tuning in to W-U-T-C. Thank you to everybody. Checking in from Chattanooga and all over the country. Should we get started with the show? Yes, let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's... This week, comedian and podcaster Jamie Loftus. I just remember that there was this one comic strip in the newspaper that my mom thought was funny 
My dad thought was awful, and I didn't understand 1%. <laughs> and writer Jelani Memory. We lie to ourselves about what is okay and not okay for kids. And that's not for their sake. I actually believe it's for our sake. With music from Tolliver and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank! Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thank you to everyone tuning in from all over the country. We have a really, really great show in store for you this week. We, of course, asked the listeners a question. What comic strip character do you identify with and why? This is because we're going to be talking a lot about the Kathy comic with Jamie Loftus. We are going to read those listener responses coming up in just a few minutes. First, though, of course, we've got to kick things off with the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what's the best news you saw this week? Oh, uh, this is a repeat, a repeat location news item. Okay. Do you remember several best newses ago where I told you that one of the new board of trustee members of the Baltimore Museum of Art was John Waters? Yes. <laughs> and his stipulation was that uh, he's going he's gonna to bequeath a lot of his photographs and works on paper and his really amazing art collection to the Baltimore Museum of Art. But the stipulation was they had to name the new bathrooms after him, which <laughs> the is the most very... John Waters thing of <laughs> yeah. all time. Uh, yeah. this, this has nothing to do with John Waters other than then it's another Baltimore Museum of Art best news moment. Okay. They have a new exhibit that is up even as we speak to each other called Guarding the Art. And it's a collection of 25 pieces that were already present in the museum. So not new material or things that are on loan from other museums, but new material. Um, What's interesting about the exhibit is who curated it. The curators of this were 17 of the security officers that work inside the corridors and galleries and hallways of the museum, which is just such a cool idea. It came about because a trustee realized that the museum guards probably spend more time with the museum's collection than absolutely anyone else, anyone else on staff, any other visitor, arguably maybe even more than the artists themselves, depending on like, you know, how long it took to make whatever painting. So a couple of years ago, they asked if some of the guards would be interested in doing something like this. It was a long process because not only did the guards select the pieces that were going to go into the exhibit, they advised on the layout and they also wrote things that were used in the promotional materials, you know, all the sort of educational materials that accompany the exhibit. And and really, you know, I think one of the things that the art world has to deal with are these like barriers. For some reason, it's an art form that we often think of as kind of like exclusive or elitist. Mm-hmm. And I think when John Waters like had those bathrooms be named after him, I think that's kind of a part of what he was trying to do is break up some of that barrier and occlusion. They also have looked at people looking at the art more than anybody else. They're experts in museum goers too. So it also makes sense that they might know what grabs people's hearts unexpectedly. Mm. I just love this idea. I hope that all art museums find some kind of way to have the whole institution participate in presenting the art for the people who can come see it. Absolutely. I don't know if my best news story I found is art or maybe performance art. I definitely Mm. thought when I read the headline that it was from The Onion, the (laughs) satirical website, because the headline was, I let a bird nest in my hair for 84 days. 
What? <laughs> which... Which is a real thing. This was actually in The Guardian, and it was kind of just a personal essay written by a woman named Hannah Bourne Taylor. And uh, she and her partner were living in Ghana, and because of her visa status, she was not able to work. Um, she's a photographer, typically. So she was just spending a lot of time watching the birds and watching nature and just kind of passing her time that way. And she found a little baby bronze-winged mannequin finch. She said it was about as big as her pinky and it had been left behind. Um, Maybe it had fallen out of the nest or was just on the ground. Mm. And so she saved it and started feeding it termites and (laughs) chirping to it in her impression of what bird language is. Okay. And the bird started more or less living on her body. It would hang out in the crook of her neck and use her hair to build its own little nest that it could live in. Now, if this sounds too good to be true, it's true because I watched a YouTube video (laughs) this woman put up of this actually happening. And so for 84 days, this little bird lived in basically the crook of her neck, her hair, or her hand. She said that she spent most of this time cooking, um, sleeping and using the restroom with one hand because she often had the bird living in her other hand. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the bird learned how to fly, which is kind of interesting to me. I wouldn't have known that birds could figure that out without like the mama bird, but this bird figured out how to fly. So it would fly off and do a loop and then come back and land in her hand. And finally, uh, she was going to uh, travel outside of Ghana for a while. And so she realized it was time for this little bird to literally fly. And so her husband, who was still there, would take the bird out every day because the flock was passing back through and would take the bird out and kind of put it near the flock. And the first two times the bird didn't want to go, but finally the third time the bird took off and went off with the flock and has never been seen again. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Emotionally, I'd be pretty (laughs) wrecked if a bird was living in my hair for 84 days. And that's like Charlotte's Web on... Yeah. Steroids. Yeah, Charlotte's Weave. (laughs) Charlotte's Weave. Good one. That wordplay from Elena, my friends, is actually the best news that I've heard all week. (laughs) If you want to get a little more good news in your life, you know, we have an entire podcast dedicated to the best news. It's called the Best News Podcast. You can get it where you get any of your podcasts. All right, let's welcome our first guest on over to the show. She's an Emmy-nominated writer whose comedy could also probably be described as a sort of performance art. Uh, She's dated an American Girl doll. She's sold Shrek nudes on Etsy to raise money for Planned Parenthood. Uh, She attempted to eat a copy of David Foster Wallace's book, Infinite Jest. Uh, And she's also the host and creator of four critically acclaimed podcasts, which the New York Times described as unexpectedly gripping explorations of niche subjects. Uh, We wanted to talk to her about the latest of those. It's called ActCast. It explores the Kathy comic strip. And it was named the number one podcast of the year by Vulture. Uh, So we invited her over to the Alberta Rose Theater last month in Portland. So take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Jamie Loftus. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. 
Well, we had you on the show a while ago talking about your really incredible podcast, Lolita Podcast. Um, and, and now we're, I want to talk a little bit about this ACCast, which is about the, the comic Kathy, yeah. which um, I'm a bit older than you, but I think like you describe your experience in the podcast. You grew up at a time where really the the idea of this Kathy comic was just something to sort of make fun of, or as you say in the show, dunk on. And I have to yeah. say, I went into this listening experience feeling the same way, but I came out of it with a totally different sense mm -hmm. of where Kathy fits into the culture. I'm what so got glad. you interested in her? Uh, I think that I, I reflect on things I glossed over as a kid quite a bit. And um, I grew up kind of, whatever, at the tail end of uh, newspaper comics being kind of a daily or weekly ritual. And I just remember that there was this one comic strip in the newspaper that my mom thought was funny, my dad thought was awful, and I didn't understand 1%. <laughs> because it was a comic strip for adult women, and no, and there was no one else kind of making something like that. So me as a kid, I was like, I don't, I don't understand why uh, taxes are stressful, <laughs> and, and I don't understand the wage gap. But there, huh. but there was a huge audience for it, and it's an audience that at that time was all, all of these kind of legitimate concerns that were like put in this very comedic way were, were made to seem silly. Mm -hmm. When reflecting on it now, it's, the jokes are still funny, and mo a lot of the jokes hold up. Uh, but the concerns are, are ones that I now have as an adult because it turns out taxes do suck. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a wage gap. <laughs> uh, what do you think people uh, don't understand about the complexity of the Kathy character uh, when they think it's just someone who's a chocoholic and yells ack a lot? Mm -hmm. Well, all those things are true, I will say. <laughs> she does say act, and she does love chocolate. Uh, she also but, has a lot of sex, yeah. as you mentioned, and you use a different word for it on the yes, show. Yes, and I know that I'm not going to use it here, but you know the one I'm thinking of, and she does it all the time. <laughs> and you can't do that in the newspaper, but it's, like, heavily implied. I'm like, oh, she's, like, dating, and it's lasting for a while. Like, she's doing it, you know? <laughs> and she's doing it. Well, I would imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, she was like a very uh, complex woman who was kind of coming into adulthood in the 70s and 80s. And so she was very much engaging with all of these second wave feminist ideas that I honestly didn't know very much about. And I think, you know, with every wave of social movements, feminism included, you know, there is a honest and I think very legitimate impulse to kind of dunk on your predecessors in mm -hmm. some ways because they were not as progressive as they should have been and there are people who and, and many women who were erased from that movement that need that called out and then also if they hadn't done the work they had done then we wouldn't be where we are now and so uh, the Kathy comic strips became this very bizarre specific way to engage with that idea and also you know just find a woman who was very privileged in some ways, but in other ways had to start a whisper network at her own job in the 80s in order to thrive in the newspaper column. Like it was, it was just kind of this very bizarre way to learn more about kind of what my own mom and aunts went through. And your mom is in the podcast. My mom is in the podcast, and now she and uh, the author of the Kathy comics, Kathy Guyswhite, are, are friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kathy Geiswhite is truly like, if she feels like a second mom to me now. She's been so supportive and so kind throughout this whole process, which I don't know if I would be able to give you know, someone the same amount of grace that she gave me in making that show. She was so awesome. And she, in a very Kathy way, recently sent my mom an edible arrangement <laughs> and was like, hey, thank you for raising Jamie. And then my mom sent her an edible arrangement back <laughs> and was like, thank you for being nice to Jamie. And then Kathy sent an edible arrangement back. Wait. So we're at three edible arrangements. That's what's keeping that business in business? Because I have never been able to figure out who's sending those things. It's your mom and Kathy. It's a tennis game of them sending old pineapple back and forth to each other. And at this point, I'm just a third party. I'm the referee. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to Jamie Loftus about uh, her podcast, The Act Cast, about the comic strip character Kathy. We've got to take a quick break here on Livewire. But stay with us, because we will be back with much more. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. Uh, probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we, we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to livewireradio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to Livewire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com slash livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. 
Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Hey, welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We are at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. We're talking to Jamie Loftus about her various projects, including the ActCast, which is a podcast about the comic strip. Kathy, um, there's only really one character from the sort of Kathy universe that you have just unalloyed um, distaste for, mm-hmm. and it would be her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Irving. Boo. Garbage. <laughs> Garbage. Yeah. Irving, bad. No sympathy for Irving. No. No. What is it about Irving's character that you find so detestable? What isn't it about Irving's character <laughs> that I find disgusting? No, I, I, I mean, in some ways... I understand he's, he's got a lot of internalized self-hatred. He's got a lot of internalized misogyny. And he's very, like, upwardly mobile boomer guy in that he has no recognition of his own privilege. And he's constantly buying gadgets and won't shut up about it. <laughs> it's just like, he's just like all of my worst uncles <laughs> bundled into one cartoon character. And he has no recognition for... Kathy, this amazing woman who loves him. And there's all of these uh, moments. I mean, and the more that I read about Irving, the more that I disliked him in specific ways. Because, you know, Kathy would go to therapy and he'd be like, I can't believe you'd work on yourself, Kathy. And it's like, look in the mirror, sir. Like, it's, he's, he was just an infuriating character top to bottom. Well, you also mentioned in the podcast, he was Ted Bundy's favorite yeah, yes. comic I, character. <laughs> Yes, that that was mentioned in, I believe it was Ted Bundy's prison correspondence (laughs) that he mentioned being a big fan of Irving and rooting for him, which is all you need to know. Yeah. I call that a red flag. Yeah, Irving doesn't isn't known for like his stands, but his main stand was a famous murderer. (laughs) (laughs) When you're sort of summing up your what you've learned in your sort of time with this, this whole idea of Kathy and talking to the creator, Kathy Geiswhite, mm-hmm. you said you really think that this is a sort of long-term meditation on effort and failure. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Um, well, in, in the case of the Kathy comics, uh, what you come up against time and time again with this character is she wants more for herself. She wants to you know, be upwardly mobile in her career. She wants to be paid equally. She wants to, quote unquote, have it all in the way we see all of these uh, characters who are women struggle with throughout, you know, multiple generations. And repeatedly in the Kathy comics, she's told no, and doors are slammed in her face, but she keeps trying. And I feel like that is very much in many ways the story of every generation of women, but to see it specifically put in my mom's generation was so enlightening where it was you know like my my mom and many women of that generation had the same issues of knowing their worth and learning their worth and doing the work on themselves and still having for all these various reasons societally doors slammed in their face whether it was in personal relationships with the Irvings of the world who were (laughs) not realizing their worth and refusing to work on themselves or whether it was bosses who wouldn't pay them for what they were worth or whatever it was it was this story of 
again and again, realizing like I am worth something. The world doesn't recognize that, but I have to do what I can to hold on to that. And now, you know, as, as I get older myself, it's it's a lesson that unfortunately is still very important to hold on to. And I didn't appreciate or understand it when I first encountered the Kathy comics. And now I'm just like, wow, she was really onto something. I wish that the lessons weren't so applicable still, but mm. it turns out that that is the history of women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is Livewire. We are talking to Jamie Loftus. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Um, you, uh, you also wrote a one-person show that you had at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and you toured it around the country called Boss, Whom is a Girl? Yes. Where you kind of came out in this character uh, of, I mean, it really was sort of like a li what we think of, and maybe this is in the most stereotypical ungenerous fashion, but what we think of as like Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos. Oh, no, yeah, it was Elizabeth, yeah. Kind of in <laughs> dress and manner. Yeah. <laughs> ha having played that character and written that character, what do, you, what do you make of the sort of conversation around Elizabeth Holmes? I think it's fascinating, and it's, now there's kind of this other wave of it because Elizabeth Holmes' content seems inexhaustible because in, in some Oh, it's way, exhausting. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. I mean, building out that character that was kind of a parody of her was, was fun because I tried to like take it to an 11. I mean, in Elizabeth Holmes' case, it's a little trickier because there were lives on the line. <laughs> and she came from this incredibly privileged background. And she, you know, she is like a white woman who came into wealth, who conned the system of white men with a lot of money, which in some ways is a win, but like who stood <laughs> right. to be hurt by that? It was people right, it was with some much real, less power. Like Robin Hood stuff right up until right up there was the blood test machine that didn't work. Right up until stealing people's blood and lying. Right. Like, so, you know, it, it's tricky. And, you know, th this whole idea of like co-opting the language of feminism to accomplish something evil and capitalistic is so sinister and frustrating. And like, I'm glad people are coming around to calling it out for what it is, which is serving capitalism, not women and not the working class and not anyone who isn't, you know, like a random white guy. Like, it's just, it's really frustrating. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh. We are talking uh, to Jamie Loftus. Um, Jamie, because I would say probably other than uh, Kathy Geiswhite, the creator of Kathy, you might now be the most deeply researched person on the topic of Kathy. Um, and so we wanted to ask you about the world of ACK moments. Ooh, okay. The, these moments that are sort of overwhelming or somebody doesn't know what to do next. This comes up a lot on Kathy, hence the mm -hmm. name of your podcast. Um, so we wanted to get your advice on how you might handle some of these awkward dilemmas. Uh, here on this table is a jar with five scenarios in it. Ooh. We call this the jar of ack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Double time. Beautiful ack. She's a multi-instrumentalist. A Walker Spring, who was born to ack. Um, okay, here's how this is going to work. Uh, okay. Jamie, uh, we're going to have you pull a uh, question at random out of the jar. Then Elena Passarello is going to read you the scenario. And we'd like to hear your best advice as to how to handle these act-worthy situations. Ooh, as Kathy or as myself? As yourself. Ooh, as myself. Here is an act-worthy situation for you. You accidentally like 
a two-year-old Instagram post from a current partner's ex-girlfriend? Ooh. How do you handle it? Hmm. Okay, my first instinct would be to unlike it and hope she never noticed. My second instinct, knowing that that would not be possible, would be to then like several more posts from the two years leading up to, mm-hmm. then follow her, then message her and be like, I'm such a big fan of your work, hoping that there is work to be a fan of. <laughs> <laughs> and then if she happens to mention, oh, that's interesting, we dated the same guy, I would then be so cool and be like, Really? What, what an interesting coincidence. <laughs> this sounds like a, a strategy that you may have even enacted in real life. That yeah. just came to you very fast. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of uh, women artists out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamie, grab another scenario from the jar of Ack. Okay. That was a challenging one. Okay. How about this one? Okay. You bring a new love interest back to your apartment, but when you get into your bedroom, you discover your roommate has put your chronically unwashed dishes under your sheets as a form of revenge. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So my first attempt would be what I like to think of in my head is the quirky girl defense, mm-hmm. which is to act as if I did this on purpose because I'm not like other girls. My- <laughs> My dishes are under my bed. And what? Have you never dated a girl that does that? <laughs> and just see what happens. Um, manic pixie dish girl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Manic pixie broken Ikea dish <laughs> woman. And, uh, and if that doesn't work, I would bank on the rest of my home, which is terrifying, to be distracting enough to uh, pull him away from the dishes and be like, oh, sorry about the dishes. Have you seen the wealth of scary dolls that I have in my room? Because maybe that would be worse. And either way, we need to get you out of here. (laughs) Have you had any sort of terrible roommate situations in your life? Yes, of course. Yes, I, uh, I had, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I had a roommate who I didn't realize I was moving there in place of her ex-boyfriend. And then her ex-boyfriend would throw rocks at my window all night and be like, is Heather home? (laughs) Was it Rolf from The Sound of Music? (laughs) You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, it fully was. (laughs) It was the actor who played Rolf. He was 74. He was 74, but he still had this very youthful vigor to him. Uh, But no, I I ended up moving out shortly after. But for a while, he was kind of trying to make her jealous by bringing me gifts, even though I was a stranger. So he was bringing, like, pizza rolls to to the apartment and, like, knocking on the door, being like, these are for Jamie. Sorry. (laughs) A real IRL Irving. Um, All right. One more from the jar of act, Jamie, before we... Wrap things up here. All right. Okay, last one. You arrive at a five-year-old's birthday party. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's the whole number. The invitation to the party specified no gifts, but when you do arrive, everyone else has brought a gift, and the Mm. child asks you point blank what you brought them. What do you do? I give him my phone. I give him my phone and the passcode, <laughs> and then I and then, then I uh, get in the moon bounce and have a good time. Yes, yeah. that is yeah. exactly the right answer. Jamie Loftus, everyone, right here on Livewire.
that was Jamie Loftus right here on Livewire. Her podcast, ACCast, is available now and definitely worth checking out. Hey, special thanks this episode to Stephen Dunham of Everett, Washington. Stephen is part of the Livewire member community and is generously supporting our show with a donation each month. And we are so thankful for that support because it's genuinely how we're able to keep doing Livewire. So thank you, Stephen, for keeping the show going. This is Livewire from PRX. Of course, each week we ask Livewire listeners a question. This week, in honor of all the Kathy talk, we asked, what comic strip character do you identify with and why? Elena Passarello has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? Here's one from Susan, who says, Calvin, as in Calvin and Hobbes, because Calvin breaks all the rules, just like me. (laughs) Whoa. I loved Calvin and Hobbes as a kid, just the art. Yeah. There's almost a certain kind of ennui to that cartoon, you know? Yeah, especially when he made all those crazy snowmen, like those horror shows of snowmen. Oh, right. <laughs> Remember? That just made me jealous because there was no snow in <laughs> Where Georgia. you were down in yeah. Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> What's another comic strip character one of our listeners identifies with? How about this one from Elise? Elise says, uh, Garfield, because who doesn't love lasagna and naps? I mean, that's mm. an argument that you can't really dispute as far as I'm concerned. I wanted anything with Garfield on it when I was a kid, going oh, to Daniel yeah. Bagley Elementary School. When the book fair would come through, I would save up my money to get any kind of Garfield eraser, pencil, bookmark. If they put Garfield on it, I wanted it when I was a little kid. Do you remember the phone, the Garfield phone? <sighs> Do I remember oh. it? I coveted it, oh, which my, I was taught too. not to covet things in the church, but I did. I coveted the Garfield phone. How can you not covet a Garfield phone? It's like the hamburger phone. Okay, one more comic strip character one of our listeners sees themselves in. (laughs) Yeah, but this one from Ian. Ian says, it may be a little bit of a non sequitur, but I can relate to just about any character in the far side. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you most identify uh, with in the far side, from the far side? Oh, no question. The kid trying to get into the school for gifted children with a door (laughs) that it says pull on it, and he's just pushing his little heart out. Like, that. that, that, I've done that before. I probably think about that Far Side cartoon every time I approach a door and I'm unsure if it's push or pull. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's invite our next guest over. He is a father who wanted to talk to his children about racism, so he thought, well, I'll go buy a book on the subject and we can read it together. And he couldn't find an age-appropriate book on the topic, so he wrote one which then led him to found a media company that's now published over 50 kids' books on such topics as divorce, optimism, voting, cancer, empathy, being non-binary, among other things. The company also produces a bunch of podcasts and has sold hundreds of thousands of copies of these books. Let's take a listen to our conversation with Jelani Memory, recorded in front of a live audience at the Alberta Rose Theater last month.
Jelani, welcome to the show. This is wonderful to be here. I grew up in Portland. This is my hometown. A hometown kid here on Livewire, yeah. These books are, are really amazing. I've been reading through a number of them this week. I'm curious, though, before this all started, before you, you wrote this, this first book, a kid's book about racism, were you a writer? Like, what were you doing for your job at that point? Did you know how to write a book? I was a bad reader as a kid. Uh, growing up, I, I, I literally would read so slow that I would pretend to read in class. And eventually, once you pretend to read for long enough, you stop reading altogether. So I didn't fall in love with books until I became an adult. And I fell in love with writing and writing for adults, writing for kids, writing for myself. Um, but I wasn't a writer professionally. I was an entrepreneur, starting companies, uh, started a really wonderful company here in town called Circle Media Inc. Um, and uh, this book came out of a project that I just wanted to do for my kids to help start a conversation. From kind of a messaging standpoint, what were you hoping your children and, and you have uh, you have six kids, you have uh, some biracial children, you have some white children. What were you hoping they would learn from this book that you were writing? You know, it wasn't so much that I hoped they would learn something. I wanted them to know that it was always okay to talk, to talk about skin color, to talk about race, and especially to talk about racism. So I've got brown kids and I've got white kids. I didn't want my white kids to be the ones in the classroom who were trying to touch somebody's hair or say something Mm. uncomfortable. And I didn't want my brown kids to walk through life without having words to describe their experiences. And so that was really the hope with the books. And it was my kids who said, Dad, you should make more books. You could do a kid's book about ice cream. You could do a kid's book about divorce. You could do a kid's book about anxiety. And that's what, what spurred me forward. There's something in this book that you and I were talking about backstage, Jelani, before the show, where you're, you're writing this from your perspective as a black man and what it's felt like to you when people have acted in a racist way towards you, even if it, they're not aware that they're doing it. And, and you basically write that when that happens, it makes you feel, and then on the next page, in very, very small print, is just the word small. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm 45 years old. I have been trying to be as aware in the world as I can, you know, as like a white person with a lot of privilege, I don't think I ever thought about it from that perspective. Mm. It's an amazing way to convey those kinds of things. Um, And you just like, just knew how to do that somehow? Because this is a kind of a complicated (laughs) book for being so simple. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, look, uh, for people of color, racism is the water that we swim in every day. We think that happens for, for people of color as adults, but it happens to us as kids, as early as three, four, as soon as we enter into the classroom. For me, growing up here in the, the whitest big city in America, I was often the only brown kid in class, which meant that I was facing questions, stares, uh, comments, right? All of those things. And it would just sort of, again, diminish, reduce, which is, I think, the, the universal experience of feeling discriminated against or misunderstood or or considered less than because of your gender, because of the color of your skin, because of the choices that you've made in your life. And uh, I, it's funny, I put that in the book and my kids immediately got it. Uh, it wasn't a new idea to them. They, they totally understood it. Now that you have this really expansive kind of library of different topics that you're addressing with the company, How do you identify which are the ideas that you want to put your time and resources behind? 
It's really simple. Uh, we look for authentic voices. Most of the folks who've written with us have never written a book. They don't consider themselves writers, but they walk in with a decade, two decades, a lifetime of experience around a specific subject. For us, it's unnecessary that they have a prerequisite of being good at writing. It's a prerequisite they have an authentic story to tell. We help wrap around a process around that to create a book together. Including, and I would imagine he has written a book before, but the, a kid's book about imagination is written by national treasure LeVar Burton. Yeah. How did you make that happen? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, talk about an absolute dream come true. So believe it or not, his people reached out to us mm. and said, LeVar knows about your books and he likes them. I mean, honestly, is there anybody... More important to literacy in this country than LeVar Burton no! by way of reading Rainbow? No. He, he's it. He is absolutely it. And for me, again, not just as a young black kid, but as a grown black man, right? I, rem I grew up on Roots. I grew up on reading Rainbow, right? I grew up on Trek. So he was everything, right? Sort of the black past, the black present, and the black future, right? So we hop on the call, and it's through Zoom, but I'm like fighting back tears, like, you know, getting really giddy. And I think we're going to have to pitch him on, hey, let's, I'm really excited about this book, and I just really want to, like, we're going to give you an advance. We're going to do all the things. <laughs> and, and he stops me somewhere mid-pitch and says, Jelani, I want to make a book with you. Hmm. Like, I'm, I'm here to work with you. Wow. And that, I mean, was the greatest gift, and to get to write that book with him was, was amazing. We are, are living in a moment where a lot of kids are probably overhearing a lot of conversations about war. And this led to an opportunity for you to kind of like what sort of rapid release a kid's book about war. Tell me the story of how that came together. Yeah, uh, there are a few moments along the very short history of our company where we felt the need to sort of go beyond uh, our mandate as a business, to go beyond our, our, our mandate to make money for our investors, and just to do the right thing and do it in the way that I think only we can do it. So, um, you know, when lockdowns happened back in 2020 uh, for COVID, we did a kid's book about COVID-19, made it in a week, got it out as a free ebook, and released it to everyone because we thought kids had questions, they needed answers, so we found an epidemiologist to do that book with. When uh, the string of murders happened in Atlanta, we did a kid's book about anti-Asian hate. For the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, we did a kid's book about the Tulsa Race Massacre. Wow. So that with under the belief that every kid in every elementary school should learn this part of our country's history. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. made the book, released it for free. So we found ourselves as a team watching what was happening in Ukraine and going, oh, I've got questions, but man, my kids have questions. Let's make a book. Let's make it free and let's get it to everyone. So we found a wonderful Emmy award-winning journalist, Sarah Jones, spent time in conflict zones, Yemen, Syria, you name it. And, and not just that, interviewing kids mm. who've been affected by conflict. We said, hey, come do a book. That was on a Sunday. We workshopped it on a Monday. We edited it on a Tuesday, we designed it on Wednesday, and we released it uh, last Thursday, actually. Wow. wow. Yeah. It's great. This is Livewire Radio. We are talking to Jelani Memory about his series of kids' books that deal with often very serious topics. I'm wondering, uh, how do you sort of decide what's too much information or what's something that could be potentially kind of unsettling for a young person to read about? 
I'll, I'll say two things, and they'll sound self-contradictory, but I promise they are not. Um, we lie to ourselves about what is okay and not okay for kids. And that's not for their sake. I actually believe it's for our sake. Mm. There are topics that make us too uncomfortable. We don't know what to say. But kids are resilient. They're creative. They're thoughtful. And they're so much more ready for this stuff than we would ever let ourselves believe. And so uh, they'll ask us questions that we're not ready to answer. And so in terms of the information that we put into books, look, we make it developmentally appropriate. We think about the kids on the other end of it and what information they do and don't have very typically. But we find that most grown-ups wait too long and too late to tell their kids stuff instead of having those conversations too early. And for me as a dad of six, look, I didn't have a dad when I grew up. I had to invent fatherhood for myself. And one of the things I knew I was going to give my kids is I was going to tell them stuff too early instead of too late because I found myself craving for adults mm. to tell me things when I was young. Mm. And the one thing we find that folks say about our books is I wish I had these when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I wish I had these stories because grandpa died of cancer, because mom and dad got divorced, because I experienced anxiety, but I didn't have the words for it. I think that starts much earlier than we let ourselves believe. And so for us, it's less about, ooh, we shouldn't go there. Actually, how do we lean in more and make it understandable to kids? Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like you sort of started this project because you wanted to try to start a conversation with your own children and therefore leave them better informed and better able to kind of go forward with their lives. How do you feel about the world that your kids are going into and that our listeners' kids are going into? Because there's a lot to feel not enthusiastic about. Mm. I'm just wondering, kind of, as someone who thinks about this a lot, how you feel about the sort of future. So the world we live in, uh, look, I think it's broken. I think it's dark. I think it's screwed up in so many ways. I worry about sending my kids to school every single day, mm. and I worry about how to manage their lives when they're home with us. Right? What, what are they living through? They're living through watching legislation in Florida around Don't Say Gay, right? Uh, my book is banned in three states. What? Um, uh, uh, there's uh, legislation in Texas around um, not being able to bring up race in class because it might make kids feel uncomfortable. Um, uh, pandemic, war, like, shall I go on, right? Mm -hmm. But in the middle of that, I think this is the most remarkable generation. They are activists, they are inclusive, they are thoughtful. They are saying and doing things that we never thought of doing, even as adults now. And so my hope is, is that if we equip them with the right tools, when they're 20, 30, 40, they're gonna be running the world, but with these ideas and with these stories, so that it's the future that we all wanted for ourselves, right? Flying cars and inclusion. They'll get that. I sure hope you're right. Jelani, memory, everyone. Thank you so much. That was Jelani Memory right here on Livewire. You can check out all of the books and projects that A Kids Co. puts out over at akidsco.com. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We've got to take a quick break, but do not go anywhere because we will be right back with more Livewire. Wire. 
Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right. Our musical guest this hour is a self-described, shimmering, sequin-loving, son-of-a-cowboy-obsessed pastor <laughs> and a gospel choir singer. It's another one of those, Elena. Oh, not again. <laughs> Once again, his latest EP, Daddyland, serves as both a letter to his late father and an affirmation of his own identity. The release has earned him critical acclaim as well as an appearance on The Late Late Show with James Corden, which is where we saw him. So we thought, let's invite him on Livewire. So we did. Oh, by the way, before we play this song, we want to let you know that it kind of sounds like there's some swearing in this song or some language that could be a bit complicated on public radio. That's not what Tolliver is singing. I know it sounds like it, but we went and checked the lyrics and checked with Tolliver's people. It's not what you might think you're hearing, we promise. So take a listen to this. It's Tolliver along with producer Jake Bowman right here on Livewire. Tolliver, welcome to Livewire. Thanks for having me. Uh, You have a very interesting bio. It says you work as a singer, actor, journalist, junket interviewer, host and curator, Mentor at Boyle Heights Arts Conservatory, radio DJ, commercial director, barback, and video editor. That's a lot of things. It's a lot of things, and I have to um, come clean. I'm not a barback anymore. I've been lying to you all, <laughs> and I'm very sorry about that. But all the rest of those things I do often. I'm directing a commercial tomorrow on, at Antioch University. I just got in town from directing a couple things. It's a pretty fun life. Lots of diverse experiences. Um, what song are we going to hear? Uh, we're going to do Say What, which is the first song Jake and I ever wrote together. And it was supposed to be for a TV show or something. We were like, nah, this is ours. We're keeping this one. All right. Uh, this is Tolliver on Livewire. Say what, say what. All right, now. What's up, Portland? We're going to be joining you in a couple months. For now, here's an Amu's Boosh. Call me Bad Bigger. Glide across the room. I've been fresh as honey dew since it came about the world. Call me bear bigger, glide across the room. Yeah, I stay so fresh to death, have you dancing in your tune. Ah! I'm a billionaire, stashed all in my underwear. Uh, got baby skin, hair just like a cardigan. Uh, I'm interesting, and I wear deodorant. Uh, but don't let me out. I show lame dudes what it's all about. Fuck it, I'm flaming. Yeah, I won the game. Contact me, play tackle for Get the hook inside your brain. Say what? Could you press a little juice to your neighbor? Say what? Did you rob a big bank? Did you save up? Say what? Did you roll around the mud for the flavor? You the mayor, stepping in when the crew's in danger. What did he want? Shoot stars, I'm a quasar, bounce a player on your lap. One time, I'm getting pampered. 
It's hug time, boss a player on your lap. One time, I'm getting pampered. It's hug time, Rocky. I'm flaming. Yeah, I won the thing. Contact, we play tackle, boy. Get the hook inside your brain. Say what? Could you pass a little juice to your neighbor? Say what? Did you rub a big bank? Did you save up? Say what? Did you roll around the mud for the flavor? You the mayor, stepping in when the groove's in danger. All right now, Portland, I got one thing to say. Why does everybody drive so weird there? I played a, a show there a couple years back. We were just stopping in the middle of the street. What's that about? I need an explanation when I come up there next time. You gotta let me know. But I'm super, super excited to be there, and I hope you're having a great day and eating all the gravy you can handle, eating pork and beans, getting your grains in, hitting all the food groups. I love you. I'm looking for the aliens and freaks, though. With the pretty brown skin, you'll need the slopes with a board and a ski pole. Three stacks air freeze, we ice cold. Now everybody's sweating cause the party is hot. Hey food, check the fridge, how much liquor we got? Gotta keep it wet till the mothership lands. Pleasant with the funk, never do it again. Oh, uh. why go crazy in your Prius, baby? Lose your mind in your mind, let me out of. Huh, huh, yeah, yeah. I was a bad ass Say what? Could you pass a little juice to your neighbor? That was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Tolliver and producer Jake Bowman right here on Livewire. Tolliver's EP, Daddy Land, is available now. All right, before we dash off, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be celebrating National Poetry Month. You know this, Elena. Some of the best kind of most compelling, impactful moments uh, in Livewire history have involved poets Amen. and their poetry. Yeah. Like, who can forget the time that we crammed into a hotel room in Austin with Roger Reeves, uh, <laughs> who joined us to talk about his amazing poetry. We're going to play that interview next week on the show. Also, we're going to hear from the Oregon Poet Laureate, Anis Mojgani, who will perform some of his work as well. And then Franny Choi, another wonderful poet, will explain how she turned Twitter harassment into some very powerful poetic material. Then Derek C. Brown, the poet and writer, will perform with the band The Helio Sequence. They're going to do some poetry and music together. So make sure you tune in for that. It's our salute to National Poetry Month. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests. Jamie Loftus, Jelani Memory, and Tolliver. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our development and marketing director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko, and our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, A.L. Alves, Mike Gamble, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. And Viviana Castilla-Serrano is our intern. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Steve Dunham of Everett, Washington. 
For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or check out our new Best News podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire team. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of LiveWire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the LiveWire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are LiveWire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about LiveWire. And thank you.